Hello, hello, hello. This is Larry with the Black Financial Initiative. I got Eric and T with me. This is the part two of the Bradford Moy interview. He's a CPA and an attorney. This episode, we get in depth about business, investing, and at the end, Bradford shares a tax deduction a lot of us can take advantage of. Listen in. All right, well, let's, let's get more into your business now. Within your firm, within your business, what are some of the top mistakes, problems that you see in your line of work? So I would probably say, hands down, the biggest issue, the thing that gets people in trouble the most when it comes to the IRS is that people just don't take a step back and just think about something from just a, a, a reasonability standpoint. Um, in law school, it's a, ter- it's a legal term, a reasonable, what would a reasonable person think of this uh, reasonable person standard, which is very subjective because what might be reasonable to me might not be reasonable to you or to somebody else. However, if you have a tax return and you got your own business and but you've had no income in your business for five years, but you're writing off twenty, thirty thousand dollars a year in business <laughs> expenses, it's like, okay, come on, man, let's <laughs> step back here yeah. and let's look at this from a reasonability standpoint. Is that reasonable? It, does this does this make sense? If this if you really had a business and you were losing thirty thousand dollars every year, would you really still have this business? Um, so that's I, I, those are the things really that what I've seen the people who have the most problems, the people who get into the most issues with the IRS is because they're just not using just good old fashioned common sense and being reasonable in the decisions they're made. As far as businesses. I mean, we've already covered it, right? There are just so many businesses out there who who just really just don't manage their funds, you know, at all. And I don't even want to say to the bit, like, at all. They just, money comes in, they'll just spend on whatever they need to spend it on. They'll use whatever's in there for themselves. They, you know, they don't structure anything as far as okay i'm only going to give myself x amount of dollars every month or x for me to spend on personal stuff they don't mm-hmm. want to really they don't truly want to separate their business from their personal lives you know mm-hmm. and so then they're just running so then at the end of the year they might look back and say man i made three hundred thousand dollars last year but i don't have anything to show for it and i got a tax bill and so mm-hmm. <laughs> it's you know, and, you know, a real good book to read, which I'm sure a lot of you have read if you haven't, real good book to read is uh, The Richest Man in Babylon. Mm-hmm. And it's just really, you know, it's really about you got to be intentional, you know, about about saving. You have to be. It won't just happen. And you got to be intentional about paying down debt. And so um, I would say those are just some of the, the, the biggest things that I see are just not being reasonable, not using common sense when it comes to filing your taxes. And then also just not being intentional with truly separating your business income, your business expenses from your personal life and your personal expenses. You know, and I know it can be very hard and challenging. It's better. You're better off paying somebody to help you do it than paying the IRS or dealing with the headaches you got to deal with down the line. You, mm-hmm. you really are. When should somebody elicit someone like you? So I'll be honest with you. I think in... in at least I know the way that I operate is never too soon to reach out because I'm not going to charge somebody just if you just, hey, man, here's where I'm starting. Here's high level. Here's how much money I'm pulling in now. Here's what I'm trying to accomplish. Uh, or if I don't even know what should I be trying to accomplish, 
uh, which how much money should I put away for taxes? How much money, you know, how, how should I do this thing? I honestly don't feel like it's ever too soon to at least begin initiating that conversation because then you're going to, I'm a, when you speak to somebody, they're at least going to put things on your mind that maybe you didn't even think about, you know, mm-hmm. a lot of self-employed individuals who, you know, they get all their money coming in. They're not paying their taxes quarterly to the IRS. They're not thinking about that. They're not thinking about what that's going to look like at the end of the year. And mm-hmm. so I, I, I always say, you know, reach out sooner than later, just to at least it's just to create that dialogue so that you have something that will be on your mind when you're going throughout the year. Um, and then, of course, you know, they're going to let you know, hey, here's how much I charge is with how much this will be. At least anybody credible is going to let you know, give you a general idea up front. They know, mm-hmm. And most accountants and a lot of lawyers, they're not going to necessarily charge you just to have that initial conversation, that quick conversation where you just tell them what type of business you have or what you're trying to do. And, and you know, they're not generally not going to charge you for that. So that's, what, again, why I say, you know, it's it's never too soon. OK. Now, as far as businesses, we're talking about businesses a lot right here. Briefly, what are the different business structures in case somebody wants to start uh, their own business? So, well, pretty much they all fall down to pretty much three to four main structures. The first one is, you know, we can consider a contractor or a plumber, for example, as they're going to be making a lot of money over these next couple of months. Um, (laughs) You know, you don't you don't necessarily you don't have to have a, 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 a entity and by an entity, I mean, a limited a LLC, limited liability company or a C corporation or S corporation. You don't have to have that necessarily to do business. It's a good idea for a lot of reasons, but you don't necessarily have to have that. So starting uh, and think of it as a scale. So from the most basic structure is just the sole proprietor. That's literally just, I am a, a contractor. I do construction work and I'm Brad, the contractor, and that's what I do. And I don't have any type of entity set up. It's just me, you know, and, However, with that being said, when you're a sole proprietor, um, it is the most basic. You don't have to file any documents with the state. And, you know, you just declare all your activity on uh, the business portion of your tax return, which is the Schedule C. Um, the, next, the next level up, where you get a little bit more complex, will be the limited liability company. Very flexible, um, very good structure to have. Uh, usually 99% of the time uh, when I set up these entities for people, I usually start them off with the LLC. The next step up will be a corporation. Now, whether that's, an, it could either be a, usually it'll probably be an S corp, but depending upon the level of income that you're generating, then it could be a C corporation. Um, the biggest differences is the LLC and the S corporation from a tax perspective, they're both taxed the same because they're both passed through entities. And by that, same thing as a sole proprietor. So let's say you make $100, but you don't spend the money. It just sits in your bank account. You don't touch it at all. At the end of the year, even though you never touched that money, you never did anything with it, you're still going to be taxed on that $100. And that is the same for the S, for the sole proprietor, for the LLC or for the S corp. However, if you're a C corporation, if you make $100, but you personally don't pay yourself anything, you're not taxed on that money. It stays at the corporation. 
The corporation pays a set tax rate. And then the only way that you are ever personally taxed on that money is if you pay yourself from the corporation, either in dividends or as a salary or as a contractor. Generally, you would be required to probably file as either a salary or dividends if you own, if you're the, you know, the owner of the corporation. Um, so then a lot of people would say, okay, well, why not just do that structure, the C corporation? Because that's where the concept of double taxation comes to play. And so with the C corporation, the C corporation makes $100, it pays a tax on that. Then whatever money is left, let's say you want to pay yourself. Okay, if you pay yourself in dividends, you're going to pay, be taxed on those dividends. Of course, you're going to be taxed at a favorable rate with cap, because they are capital gains. However, you are going to be taxed on that. And the, keeping that same thing in mind, if the corporation made $100, but then if you paid yourself 50 of that, the corporation is going to pay tax on, on $50 because the money paid to you is deductible to the corporation. So the corporation pays a tax on that $50 that's left over profit. And then you personally are going to pay $50 uh, on that income uh, as including your taxable income as a salary. So similar to like a, a W-2. So you're going to pay taxes on that. So pretty much that same dollar has been now been taxed twice that reached mm -hmm. your pocket. So that's why I say it varies. There's no right structure for anything in particular. It just varies based upon your needs, uh, the type of business you're conducting, and the amount of money that you have coming in. And so with all those things, that's where me being the accountant, the CPA, as well as being the lawyer, it uh, really enables me to really help guide people on what is the best structure for them. Because a C corporation might be the best structure for you if you're doing a super, um, maybe a ultra hazardous or a super hazardous type of business something that has a lot of risk, something where you really don't want any acts from the corporation to fall back on you personally. And so, um, so like I said, I, those are the, the, the main structures and the biggest reasons why, and then of course, then people ask, well, why do I even need to set up an entity at all? You know, especially if I'm still going to be taxed the same way from the, uh, the LLC, the S Corp and the sole proprietor, why even, why not just sole proprietor? Well, that's where it comes in more so in the liability aspect. So the biggest reasons to incorporate is to shield your personal assets from your from the business stuff, from any business liabilities. So if something was that if you're a sole proprietor and your business got sued, you lost and you had to pay, let's say, a thousand dollars because you're a sole proprietor and there's no difference between the business and between Brad, the business and Brad, the individual, that means anything that has my name on it is fair game to help satisfy that judgment. So that means that they could, even though they could take, you know, my name is on my wife's car and I got owe a thousand dollars and I don't have it. They could potentially go after my wife's car and we have to sell that. And then they cut those proceeds. Mm -hmm because there's nothing shielding my personal assets from the business debt. But setting up those different structures, even starting at the LLC, you can do that. You can set that up to where, hey, this LLC is separate. It's got its own business bank account. It's got its own business liabilities, its own business assets. So if that LLC, if you do everything correctly and structure everything correctly, and let's say with that same example, the LLC, you have a judgment for $1,000. Well, 
but the LLC only has five hundred dollars in assets, then if everything if you've done everything correctly, then all your personal assets are are, are completely shielded, and you just say, okay, well the LLC went bankrupt. All you can get is five hundred dollars, and that's it. And so that's just and and properly shielding yourself and incorporating or setting up and uh, organizing an entity is one way to help you achieve that. And you can achieve that with the LLC, the S Corp and the C Corp. The biggest differences between those is, is really when it gets down to the more complex you go. So the more, as, as far as shifting from the LLC to the S Corp or the S Corp to the C Corp, which is definitely the most complex, the most formal structure, you know, they all have their pros and cons. But from my perspective in the world that I deal with, deal in, you will be able to take advantage of more sophisticated tax planning as the higher and more complex you, you go down that line. So as you shift from the LLC to the S, from the LLC to the S Corp, from the S Corp to C Corp, there are going to be a lot more advantages that you, a lot more things that you can take advantage of to help, uh, you know, lower that tax bill and help keep money in your pocket. Now, you mentioned earlier in the episode, uh, real estate, something that I'm interested in. I think all of us are interested in as well. With the LLC or with any other type of corporation, is there a way to lessen the, the tax burden um, or is it really just for a liability standpoint? So I'm mostly, mostly the benefits that I see as far as shifting between the different entities. You know, you definitely want to have at least something, but I mostly see the benefit in on the tax side, because you just can take more, you can take advantage of more sophisticated tax planning techniques. Um, we could go all in on that. However, the biggest thing that I've seen with real estate is, uh, and maybe you all have noticed this, maybe you haven't, but if you've ever dealt with any of these real estate investors or uh, anything like that, if you'll notice a lot of times they'll have uh, a huge portfolio of assets, but they also have a lot of entities. They've got LLC A, LLC B, LLC C. You know, they just got tons of them. And, you know, mm-hmm. people are like, why? And it's because of the liability. Mm-hmm. And so let me give you the same examples. So let's say you've got four properties. If you have all four properties and they're all under one LLC, let's say somebody's in property number one, there's faulty wiring, the house burns down and they sue you, you know, and they win. They could potentially go after house number two, three, and four to satisfy the judgment on what happened on house number one because you got them all under that same umbrella. So in order for real estate investors to mitigate that, they spread them out. Some might go as deep as to put each property under its own LLC, depending upon the amount of revenue they get from each property. Because doing that, if they do that uh, the appropriate way and structure it formally, then that means if something happened on property A and the house burned down and there's no money left, oh well. Property A, the property A LLC just goes bankrupt. I'm still rolling. And, <laughs> and I'm still rolling. And I still got all these other properties and none of them have been touched. Even though I've got money in my personal bank, these other properties got money in their bank. They don't have to pony up any cash or do anything to take care of property one because it was its own separate company, its own separate entity. So it really goes back to that liability standpoint. 
the and and that's why you'll see that a lot of times so like i said really it's all about setting up these entities it's it's in my opinion it's all about tax strategy and you know mitigating your liability and protecting you for the long term so for an uh, let's say an investor has a portfolio income is there a corporation like for example the c corporation to kind of mitigate your tax uh, burden as well? I mean, I wouldn't necessarily say that I need to run portfolio uh, income through a C corporation. Um, you know, and, and then, I, and like I say, this just might just vary upon who you talk to and their opinion or how they would structure it. Um, but I would just say, I mean, you know, if you've got capital gains or capital gains, whether or not you run them through an entity or not, it's still going it, to, you know, uh, it's still going to have the favorable tax treatment. Everybody knows uh, this has been blown up now since back when, who was, I believe, Mitt Romney, he's running for president. And everybody was wondering why he was paying tax rates so low and his secretary was paying more in taxes. And it was because most of his income was in dividends or stock transactions, which are all capital gains, which are all taxed at lower rates than a W-2 ordinary income. And so I don't think necessarily when it comes to that, that, you know, oh, I should run my capital gains through an entity before I run them to me. Um, you know, uh, I just think if you've got capital gains and you got some set up that way, dividends and, and st- <laughs> dividends and capital gains, you know, they're always going to be taxed at a much more favorable tax rate than regular ordinary income. Okay. 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 So another investment question, uh, do you see a better retirement account from a, from a tax saving standpoint, you know, let's say IRA or 401k, you know, your Ross and whatnot. So, uh, so, you know, I, like I said, I, I am clear on, you know, what I do and I know what my strengths are. Even I have a financial advisor who, you know, now I don't pick stocks or do anything like that. I know where my strengths are and you got to know your strengths and know where your weaknesses are. And so even I use a financial advisor. However, um, you know, from a just going through the main differences with retirement accounts, uh, I always believe you should utilize them, whether or not they're on your job or personally. There are two, you know, everybody knows or maybe they don't. But as you know, there are Roth IRAs and then there are traditional IRAs. Um, the difference between the two is do you want to pay the tax on it now or pay the tax or pay more tax on it later? Roth IRAs, you put money into an account. But however, those are post-tax dollars. So you've already paid taxes on this to the IRS, whether it be from withholding from your job or at the end of the year. And then these after-tax dollars, you're taking that amount and you're putting it into an IRA and you do not get a tax deduction for it. And, um, And you do that because on the back end, when that money earns interest, and those investments pay out, you're not paying any taxes on those funds because you've already paid the tax on it up front. Mm-hmm. However, with traditional IRAs, you do get a tax deduction up front. However, you're going to get taxed on the back end as well. So you're going to, you, you get the tax deduction to, deduct, uh, to contribute to that traditional IRA. And then you're going to pay taxes on the principal and the interest 20, 30 years from now when you start to pull that money out. So with that, it's kind of a balancing act between utilizing Roths and traditionals. And not only that, depending upon, there are a lot of factors 
uh, that go into whether or not you're eligible and how much you can contribute to each one. Uh, Cause they'll look to see if you are, if you're eligible to participate in a 401k at your, uh, or 403b or any type of retirement plan through your job. Um, there are set standards and calculations that say, okay, if you make X amount of dollars and you're eligible, you know, you, you cannot utilize this on the side or you can, but you only can contribute X amount of dollars. So um, with that, I would definitely, you know, uh, there's no one set answer that, yes, this is the one you need. It really varies based upon your tax situation and your income situation and what you're allowed to do in the eyes of the IRS. Um, I will say, however, for my self-employed individuals, they should definitely take advantage of a self-employed IRA, a SEP IRA. So the benefit about a SEP IRA is if, and I can use myself as an example. If I make if I make $100, I could then say, hey, I want to put 50 of this into my SEP IRA. That means I just funded my IRA with $50 and I get a $50 deduction to my business. So that means I've just funded my retirement account and I was able to deduct the amount that I funded my retirement account on my tax return. And so that is... and. Uh, the amount, uh, I believe now is up to, so we, you know, talk that into more livable dollars that allows self-employed individuals to, to contribute and fund their self-employed IRAs. They can write off up to 55, I believe it's at 55,000 now, uh, $55,000 a year. You could contribute to that and take as a deduction on your tax return and you're funding your own retirement with that. So, uh, I will say that if you're self-employed, a SEP IRA is definitely a vehicle you want to pursue and look into. So going to, I guess, kind of going to today's time with the pandemic and everything, people are working from home a lot. So I was curious, has home office deductions been affected recently because people are working from home for their primary jobs? If you know, say if they have a side hustle or something. You know, it's, it's, it's really, it's really sad as to what happened. So with the, with the, so when the Trump tax cuts got enacted a few years ago and the tax codes changed, one thing he took away was the home office deduction. So prior to that, if there were two ways for you could have the home office deduction. One is if you had your own business. The other was if you worked at home for the convenience of your employer. Mm. So, you know, it's almost like he had a, I don't, I mean, if he had a crystal ball, who knows, but you know, last year, everybody was working from home and <laughs> would have been eligible for the home office deduction. However, nobody, most people are not going to be able to use it at all. So the home office deduction used to be an itemized deduction on your schedule A and your itemized deductions. That's where, you know, if you if you have higher itemized deductions than the standard deduction, then you would itemize. If you don't break that threshold, you take the standard. Um, itemized deductions are things like, uh, usually if you have a, have a home, you were able to itemize because that would allow you to deduct the interest that you paid on your mortgage, the real estate taxes that you pay on the property, any charitable donations that you, uh, donate as far as givings to a religious institution or property donations to Goodwill Salvation Army. Those are the big ticket items usually that enable most people to itemize their deduction. And then there was, and part of those there was the home office deduction. And that's where you would, and that's where you would take advantage of that. And the way the home office deduction was calculated, uh, just 
just using simple numbers here, if you live in a house that's a thousand square feet and your home office is a 10 by 10 foot office, that means it's a hundred square feet. You do the math, that's 10% of your house. That means 10% of every single dollar spent on that house is deductible as the home office deduction. Mm-hmm. So 10% of, if you're renting 10% of the rent, 10% of, you know, 10% of the mortgage interest payments, if you own 10% of the real estate taxes, 10% of the cable, getting the line mode, the al- burglar alarm, 10% of everything with the house would have been deductible to all as an itemized deduction if you weren't self-employed or didn't have your own side hustle. Now, I said you had two paths to do it. Um, still calculate the same way. The only difference is uh, one was if for the convenience of your employer. The other one is if you had your own business. So they eliminated the one for the convenience of your employer. However, if you are self-employed, you can still take advantage of the home office deduction. So, the, so it's still calculated the same way, but instead of it being on your schedule A, it's on your schedule C now. Um, the only diff, the only uh, caveat, I guess, with the home office deduction is that a home office deduction can never give you a loss. It can only bring you to zero. So mm-hmm. by that, I mean, let's say your business, your side hustle makes $100, and then you spend $1,000 on office supplies to for your business. Well, on your tax return, that would mean you had a $900 loss, which you would then use. It all goes into one big pot at the end of the day on your tax return, which would then reduce your taxable income by $900, thereby, you know, lowering your tax bill, increasing your or and or increasing your refund. However, sticking with that same example, let's say you made $100, but you didn't, the only expense you had was your home office. And let's say it was $1,000 home office in the home office deduction expense. What that would mean is all it would do is take you down to zero taxable income, and then you'd have $900 left on your that you couldn't use, but that you could carry over to the next year to try to use. So that's what I mean in that it can never take you to a loss, but it can reduce, it, it can take you to zero. So it can, a home office deduction can only offset income. And when you just think about it, you can see why the IRS, behind everything, there's always a policy or a reason why. And when you think about it, it's because then everybody would just say they had a home office and then they'd be writing off 10, 20 percent of their house <laughs> with no income every year, which could be legitimate. But everybody would do it and everybody would have a loss. So to curtail <laughs> that and to prevent that from happening, the IRS made it to where, OK, it can only offset your income. Mm, OK, this is this is my last question. And it's staying with the, the pandemic, the current times right now. Uh, can you briefly discuss the PPP Paycheck Protection Program and the EIDL Economic Injury Disaster Loan? Yeah, so I've been doing a lot. I do, I've been doing a lot of these applications for people as well. So um, I always encourage all of my self-employed clients to uh, explore it, and I'll explore it with them and uh, put in these applications because this is very, very uh, good money. So I'll start with the loan, the EIDL. That is a true loan. It is not forgivable. It is locked in. You will have to pay it back. However, the EIDL has very favorable terms. From what I'm seeing, they are uh, the loans that you get from the moment you get the funds. You don't have to start making any payments back until one year later. They're locked in at 3.5% and it's spread out over 30 years. And there's no penalty for early repayment. 
Oh, so, wow. yeah, so uh, so that's the loan. So that's not forgivable. But, but like I said, very favorable terms. You could, you know, you could just park that money for a year and just let it earn interest and then pay it back if need be or use it. And it's always good to have some a cash reserve there just in case. Mm-hmm. The PPP is a loan, but it is a forgivable loan. And as long as you use the PPP funds for payroll, to pay yourself, to pay employees, to pay contractors, to cover expenses such as rent, utilities, then the loan will be forgiven. And so that is the real big difference. So the PPP is basically, you know, it's, it's basically free money as long as you use it for what you're supposed to use it for. And the loan is, you know, like I said, a very favorable loan with very favorable terms, both of which can really help businesses and really help people, especially during everything that I've seen with, you know, the way 2020 was and hit a lot of people hard. And the way the PPP, the, generally the way they're calculated, the EIDL is generally, you could potentially get up to 50% of your 2019 gross revenue minus cost of goods sold if you sell things, if you sell products. Uh, and with the PPP, the way it's structured is the loan amount that you receive is going to be two and a half times your monthly payroll. So if your monthly payroll is $5,000, that means they'll, you know, you'll submit documentation that backs that up. And if you're approved, you can potentially get up to, what's that, $12,500. They'll take $5,000, multiply it times two and a half, you just you get a check, you know, you get a deposit of twelve thousand, you know, twelve thousand two fifty, and then you're free to uh, use that money to cover those necessary expenses such as payroll, rent, utilities, things like that, and you then apply for loan forgiveness, and just like that, it's done. Um, and I guess I just on the tax side of things, um, a loan is not income. That is why on your student loans when you make payments, you don't get to deduct the entire amount that you pay. Your deduction is just the interest that you pay on the loan. So a loan is, so that's why when you make payments on a loan, you can't deduct the whole loan because the loan was an income when you received it. So anybody who received any PPP, EIDL, any SBA funds in 2020 is not gonna have to worry about a tax impact on their 2020 tax return. Yeah, that, that was my last question. I, re, I really appreciate all the information. Did you guys have any more questions? Uh, no, I didn't. I just appreciate you, Brad, for stopping by. And I almost seemed like I was back in school again with all like the capital gains <laughs> and depreciation, the big four. I was like, oh, man, this is bringing me back. This is, I was like, this is literally everything that school was. <laughs> oh, man. OK, cool. I'm, I'm, I'm glad. Yeah, hopefully I wasn't too boring, though. So, you oh know, no no no! I was like, man, you, <laughs> no, yeah, I was like, you you're just playing the game at a different level. <laughs> I really appreciate you. I know this is probably your busiest time of the year too. So take making time out for us and our and our audience. Excuse me. I really appreciate that. Definitely. No problem. No problem. No problem. Can I, can I right. shameless plug? Is that okay? Oh, yeah, for sure. Oh yeah, for sure. sure. <laughs> yeah, that's what I was gonna ask you. That was gonna be my question for you. Was how can people get a hold of you if you were on social media or anything like so, that? So yeah. So, so people can email me uh, or go to my website. It's, it's bcmfirm.com, you know, Bradford C. Moy, firm.com, but bcmfirm.com. I can be emailed at brad at bcmfirm.com. And uh, feel free to reach out. 
Yeah, so I'm in the Houston area and I work pretty much virtually for my clients, uh, which, you know, has generally not been an issue for people, especially these days. Nobody's going into anybody's office these days anyways. But, um, you know, for most of my clients, if we need to meet up, I'm happy to, you know, meet them wherever or come to their homes. Uh, but, you know, most of my time, my clients are fine. Just they can text me. They can email me. We need to jump on a call. We jump on a call and, you know, they're happy to be able to go on about their day and not have to carve time out to say, oh, I need to carve out time and go to, you know, like a, a H&R block. I need to go sit down to H&R block <laughs> and carve out three hours of my time. It's like, no, you know, you can go and do what you need to do. And uh, I just and I get what I need from you at your convenience. Oh, I'm just going to say for everybody out there listening, hit this brother up. Man. <laughs> please, <laughs> please. Over, over here dropping gems. So and definitely know what you're talking about. And you do it virtual, you know, no, uh, you know, no inconvenience. People can just hit you up like that. That's, that's real smooth right there. Oh, man, I'm always happy to help. And I will say this before I go. I, I throw out one free tax tip um, for people. Um, so just for because of COVID, and we touched on this earlier, we talked about being the difference between being able to itemize or take the standard deduction. Um, because of COVID, they've allowed a special uh, $300 deduction. So that means even if you take the standard deduction on your tax return, you can still deduct $300 for money that you give into a charity uh, or to a religious institution. So there's, so it's not a huge tax break, but it definitely is going to give Something. you a couple of extra couple of extra bucks uh even you know to knock off on that tax bill and or increase that refund so um, be sure it. to you know take what you can get definitely definitely and can you mention uh like some of the services you provide i know you mentioned like uh i think like accounting services or something like that i know so you're I, a tax attorney so i do it all it's almost easy for me to say the things i don't uh provide oh, okay. like <laughs> but no i uh <laughs> but high level man uh of course tax prep tax planning uh, state planning, contracts, uh, bookkeeping, uh, accounting, financial due diligence for a deal. I've, I've done that for people. You know, hey, I want to kick the tire on this investment. Who better than somebody that can read the contracts, analyze any loopholes, uh, see, make sure that you're protected and also, you know, look at their books and see how and really go through it and understand, OK, what makes sense? Uh, you know, why are these assets? You know, why is this? so little cash assets however you know income is x amount you know just being able to do that deep uh, deep dive so like i said i'm anything with numbers and especially numbers then the law intersect uh definitely feel free to reach out to me cool eric, eric did you want to um i guess uh conclude us uh yeah i'll uh, mention kind of like some of the news of the day um i know biden has mentioned uh fourteen hundred dollar stimulus checks I don't know where that is in Congress or when that's coming through. Um, I know they've also mentioned a child tax credit um, changing from or changing to 3,600 or 3,000 depending on the age of the kid and this to be paid out monthly instead of, I guess, claiming it on your taxes at the end of the year. Um, and also during this time, uh, kind of mentioned save, 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 especially with the snow snowstorm that happened in Texas, hotels were price gouging. Uh, it was like $250, $300 a night, you know, just to get somewhere if you could find somewhere. Um, also, be on the lookout for your electric bill, as I guess those who had variable rates in their electric, I guess the company upped the rate to some crazy amount. So 
I know some people have gotten like $9,000 bills and stuff. So, you know, just be on the lookout for that. Um, right there. Yeah, definitely. <laughs> um, and with that, that's uh, we appreciate Brad for coming by. Definitely hit hit the man up, please. He put all his information in there. Definitely hit him up. Get in contact with him. You you already see the knowledge he has. I'm sure he has plenty of more in the consultation that you'll do with him. Definitely get in contact with him. And uh, that's it for the Black Financial Initiative. Talk to y'all later. All right. Thank y'all. Appreciate it. Thank you, guys. Thanks for listening. Thank you, Brad. No problem.